China has a major housing problem on its hands, but it's not the one everybody seems to think it is. Remember last year when Evergrande, the big property giant in China, failed, missed debt payments, defaults, all that kind of stuff? A lot of people started to say, hey, the housing market in China is about to blow up. The Chinese economy, the whole, whole shebang is about to fall right apart. That was never really the risk. The risk is very different. And funny enough, pretty much everything that's going on in China is tied up in this housing sector transformation. That's really the issue here. The Chinese government is attempting to transform the housing sector and by proxy, the entire economy. The implications are staggering. They're also extend far beyond China's borders to the rest of the global economy. As we're seeing right now, witnessing with Chinese Yuan continuing to fall lower and lower, despite many efforts among the Chinese government to at least try to rescue it. So let's see if we can unpack the real dangers for China's housing market and what that means to you and me. Because as I said, the implications are global. Now I'm Jeff, this is Eurodollar University. Thanks for joining me. Uh, if you want to know more about me and what we do at Eurodollar University, check us out on the website, eurodollar.university. There's memberships about educational videos, exclusive content, questions and answers, that kind of thing. There's subscriptions, daily briefing about, get you up to date every day on, on every uh, the major events and macro and money, as well as the deep dive analysis that kind of goes behind these videos diving deep into the weeds, down the rabbit hole of the Eurodollar system and its consequences. Now, before we start today's video, I also wanna, get, I wanna make sure that everybody knows on our channel, as well as at Emil Kalinowski's channel, Emil is back. He has prepared a, a, a pretty extensive interview with an author from Iceland who has a wild story to tell. I highly recommend you check that out. You can find it here at the Eurodollar University channel, or if you want to go back to Emil Kalinowski's channel, it's also available there. As I said, some wild story. You gotta check out what Emil has to say about it in the, in the interview. So, China, housing. First, the statistics. The statistics are beginning to look a little bit grim. According to the National Bureau of Statistics in China, housing prices have fallen for several months in a row. In fact, they've fallen on a year-over-year -year basis one and a half percent in September. We'll get the October update in about a week, but it's expected that the decline in housing prices will accelerate. Uh, this is the first time home prices have declined across the 70 cities in the NBS survey since 2015. Now, various efforts have been made to at least make it seem like Chinese government is supporting or, you know, doing something about it. The five-year loan prime rate was reduced a couple times, which is tied to most mortgages. But as most of the financial statistics show, especially the PBOC's financial statistics report on especially household credit, not really doing all that well. Individuals in China aren't taking on new mortgages, which has led to another effort, which the Chinese government offered first-time homebuyers in select cities, um, the opportunity to get mortgages at a much reduced rate. But that's not the same thing as the old way of doing Chinese real estate and construction, which was more, 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 stimulus, 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 incentives, incentives, incentives. In fact, that's really the point here. Xi Jinping's slogan, 
common prosperity applies, as does everything that the Chinese brought about from the 19th Party Congress way back in October 2017. If you remember October 2017, before they came up with common prosperity, the idea was rejuvenation. But rejuvenation had a, spe a specific meaning and a specific purpose. It was, in terms of the economy, a transition to quality growth rather than quantity growth. In much of Chinese economic quantity, especially in the post-2008 era, where the global economy has been imperiled and held back, that had meant artificial growth. It meant Keynesian stimulus, for example, to make sure that property builders had enough uh, incentive to just build regardless of fundamentals. And that led to a whole bunch of issues, including the fact that Chinese China's housing market had attained bubble status. Now, the issue with China's housing market, in, where it's different for much of the, from, rough, from much of the rest of the world, is that according to one PBO survey, PBOC survey, one that's widely, widely uh, uh, referred to, from back in October of 2019, approximately 70% of all household wealth in China is tied to real estate. Now, there's a bunch of reasons why, uh, starting with cultural, uh, cultural phenomena, cultural characteristics, as well as lack of access to other financial markets, whereas in Western countries around the world, more household wealth is in financial rather than real assets. But in China, 70% approximately of household wealth is tied up in real estate, which means if you're going to use the real estate sector to try to shepherd China into a transformation that maybe not, maybe doesn't work out so well for the real estate sector, what you're really saying is to China's households that a big, huge chunk, the majority of your wealth is at risk. And so what the Chinese have done this year is to make small moves to make it seem like they're supporting the housing market, or at least supporting housing, but not necessarily the housing market as a whole. Because going back to Evergrande, this is really the point. They're taking the top off the market. They're taking the, the old way of doing things in the Chinese real estate market and, and scrambling them. Common prosperity means, as one, uh, one government mantra that has been repeated all the time in recent documents, including, uh, including documents that were forwarded to the, to the 20th Party Congress, housing is for living in, not speculation. So the Chinese want the real estate sector to be about living in housing, not savings. And if again, if 70% of your people's wealth is tied up to housing and real estate, and the government is taking sort of a, not necessarily a negative view on real estate, but a different view on real estate that may not be as supportive of the same price positive fundamentals that the Chinese have enjoyed, for many, many years, that's a threat to a lot of households. And it puts, of course, with everything that the Chinese have been doing this year politically into a very different light. What, for, what if, for example, these draconian pandemic restrictions in Shanghai, now recently in other smaller cities around China, have less to do with the pandemic and more to do with sending a message to these households that the Chinese government is going to do economy, real estate, your savings the way it wants, regardless of how you feel. And if you don't like it, 
guess what the Chinese government can do to you and every one of your neighbors, in fact, your whole city and region. It's a demonstration of raw political authority. And funny enough, not coincidentally enough, remember what happened at the closing at the 20th Party Congress, that whole thing with Hu Jintao. Now, it was rumored that Hu, along with Wen Jibo, uh, Song Ping, uh, made the big stuff in February, or not February, in September, as well as even Li Kang, Li being China's nominal number two, retired number two, all of these technocrats had apparently told Xi Jinping to sort of knock it off with this real estate common prosperity stuff because it was upsetting the Chinese population, as you would expect. Again, 70% of household wealth is tied to real estate. Maybe this whole common prosperity, we don't care about Evergrande and financiers and the big and big uh, real estate and developers the way we used to, maybe that's going to have a negative effect, not just in the markets, but more so in the economy and in the politics of China. And of course, what happened to who? I think we all know she sent a message saying we're moving forward with common prosperity, which has implications, macro implications as well. We see that in the Chinese economic statistics and not just the financial numbers of low household mortgage attainment. We also see it in the lack of internal growth in China. Retail sales in particular. In September, the delayed retail sales and economic report for specifically retail sales, the growth rate was two and a half percent. Now before July of 2019, Chinese retail sales had never been less than, than 8% year over year except for one time was sort of a quirk, way back when. So we go from less than, never being less than 8% to now since July of 2021, we've, China hasn't even seen 8% and is lucky to be positive in most, in most months. So Chinese wealth, household wealth, is being threatened by this government transition toward common, common prosperity, and it's, it's having a real macro implication, as well as a financial implication too. Because as China's internal economy, starting with real estate, becomes a bigger and bigger uncertainty at best, and a bigger and bigger mess in reality, what happens? Well, external money looks at China very differently. Again, it's not just about, it's not just about uh, defaults in developers and real estate, it's about redoing the Chinese economy, taking the real estate boost that the Chinese economy has enjoyed for the last decade plus and removing it, purposefully removing it, threatening uh, Chinese household wealth in the process. That makes China as a whole a very different risk profile. So you can understand why, especially external investors are taking a second look at China even before we get to all the rest of the problems that the world is experiencing. They're looking at Xi Jinping in the post-19th Party Congress and looking at his plans for China and the fact that he is enforcing those plans through, as I said, draconian measures, political shows, in, in fact, at the, you know, the 20th Party Congress with, with Hu Jintao, Xi Jinping is sending a message. China is going to be transforming. And the global financial and monetary system has received that message loud and clear. So what has happened to the Chinese economy, the Chinese, uh, Chinese currency, excuse me, over the last uh, eight months or so? The Chinese currency has dropped like a stone 
because regardless of the external environment, the external, uh, the uh, financial sector has looked at China as it is, or as it will be, as it will become, which is not the same China we once thought it was, not the same China where the promise of its massive, uh, massive marketplace, the promise of the Chinese allowing companies to come in and take advantage of all these soon-to-be middle-class consumers. The China of endless possibilities, endless growth. China was going to grow forever, supported by a government that was only willing to do what it took to keep China on that track. And the, 17th, the 19th Party Congress in 2017 showed that track had changed. And what we've seen this year only further cements those changes and then some. So the Chinese internally, before we even get to anything else, transformation, threats to household wealth, lack of economic opportunity, certainly the same way as before. And then we add to it a global recession on top of everything. So you have Chinese economic statistics, including retail sales, as I said, that are, are, are low. You have the PMIs for October, which were even worse. And everybody is blaming this on the zero COVID, the pandemic restrictions that are occasionally intermittently applied. Well, those maybe account for the short-term drops in whatever our statistics, the PMIs in particular. As you can see in all the data, there is a downward trend regardless of the pandemic restrictions that are applied along the way. Because as I said, the Chinese government is purposefully rejiggering the way the economy is supposed to work. Houses are for living in, not for speculation. The economy becomes a very different economy. And then on top of all that, China still is a very heavy external export oriented economy. It has a huge dose of external demand, which drives internal economic, uh, internal macro conditions as well. And what we, what has happened for the Chinese over the last several months is what is we've seen everywhere else around the world. In fact, in the statistics that the Chinese reported just over the weekend from the general administration of custom exports leaving China by dollar volume actually contracted year over year for the first time since 2020. Now exports are still relatively high compared to recent times, but the fact that they're starting to contract and that they're contracting by dollar nominal value, which means that by volume, it's likely contracting much, much worse. We don't know because the General Administration of Customs doesn't give us a volume survey like other countries do. But regardless, we know that trade is starting to decline, outright decline in China, especially amongst its biggest trading partners, its biggest trading partners being the United States and Europe. In September, by dollar volume, including price changes, exports to the United States from China declined by 13% year over year. It seems as if the inventory cycle is starting to impact China and its export sector. Imports, or, or, excuse me, exports to Europe from China were down 9%, again, nominal US dollar terms. We know Europe is, is struggling mightily as we speak, states therefore it's bleeding over into China's external sector. 
So you have China internally attempting this transformation, which is leading to all sorts of economic instability as well as lack of economic growth. And then along comes the inventory cycle at, might, at what might be the worst possible moment. Now you have the global recession, lack of falling and lack of demand in China's major trading partners. And it's not so great across the rest of Asia either. All of it leads to this real, this look at China, which is very, very different. And so you can understand why Chinese, the Chinese currency has declined in the way it has, because China is a real, real, real mess. And it starts with the real estate sector, but not in the manner of the real estate, the housing market is going to blow up. Rather, the housing market is going to be the way in which the Chinese attempt to transform the economy into a very, very different economy that isn't so helpful to the rest of the global system. So the implications are financial instability. We see that not just in the currency, but also markets that, that, have the, that have seen quite a bit of volatility that can spill over into global marketplace. You have political instability, the pandemic restrictions that I don't believe are really about the pandemic. They're about sending a message that if you don't like what Xi Jinping is doing, especially as it pertains to household wealth, too bad. And then third, most importantly for maybe the rest of the world, the Chinese economy is not going to be a dependable source of economic strength. In fact, it's likely to be a drag upon the rest of the global economy, completely upturning the way it used to be. Tremendous macro and financial risks contributing even more to the global recession, global financial instability that we see all across the marketplace. I'm Jeff. Thanks for watching. As always, check us out, eurodollar.university. Special thanks to Emil for putting together that, uh, that wonderful interview about Iceland. Again, I strongly suggest you check that out, uh, what Iceland, its experience with 2008. And always thank you to the Eurodollar University members. We'll have some of their names at the end of the video, as well as all of the subscribers to the to the Markets Insider Pro, the daily briefing that I, I contribute there, as well as the deep dive analysis. Until next time, take care.